Ladies and gentlemen, people of the internet, welcome back to yet another episode of Crypto Over Coffee. I hope you're doing well today. And if you're new here, every Saturday, we break down the latest news and the hottest topics in the world of technology and cryptocurrency over a cup of delicious coffee. Now, that being said, in today's episode, I'm talking about Axie Infinity, Ethereum's EIP 1559, Cardano, Seller, our usual 404 Logic Not Found segment, and more. So make sure you stick around for all the wonderful updates in today's episode. But as always, let's kick it off with questions from you, the awesome folks who support Crypto Over Coffee week in and week out. Thank you very much for that. If you want one of your questions answered in the future, please leave them in the comments below or tweet me at Hishoshi4. And if you would be so inclined, please do subscribe to the channel and hit the bell notification button or follow the podcast on your platform of choice so you get a heads up whenever I post new episodes of Crypto Over Coffee on Saturdays. And finally, if you are a Cardano ADA holder, please do consider delegating to my stake pool with the ticker symbol H4SH. Thank you very much, folks. And let's go ahead and dive into the questions for the day. Now, the first question of the day is from House Lynch or Crypto Lynch, the best site to learn how to become a blockchain developer. And this is a question I get all the time. So I do come from a development background. I've worked on the tech side of crypto for, I would say, six and a half years now. Uh, really exciting stuff. And before that, I was a student in the tech space. So the best places to learn to be a blockchain developer really depend on what your goals are. If you want to quickly be employable, someone that can go and quickly get a job in a, a development uh, project, then your goal should be to maybe pay a little bit of money, right? So there, there's a, a good set of different paid options. So the first one would be one second. I want to drink this while it's hot. The first option would be something like Ivan on Tech Academy, which is something you pay monthly or pay annually for. And you, you get access to all these self-guided or self-paced courses. People tease me all the time, like, oh, you're just shilling Ivan stuff. I've actually used Ivan's Academy to test it out to make sure that it's good, and it is good. So if you want to learn and you want something that's you know curated and ready to go for you, that's a good paid option. If you want to go even deeper than that, you want to do Solidity programming or you want to learn even more, B9 Lab is the best. It's very expensive, but it is the best way to learn to be a smart contract developer, blockchain developer that exists. I guarantee you that. I recommend B9 Lab to everyone if you can afford to do it. If you really want to like get deep and get into the nitty gritty of it, you should do B9 Lab. But of course, you want to have some base programming skills before that. So you can learn that on YouTube, learn JavaScript, learn Python. Uh, you could learn C++. Any of those languages would probably work for you. And if you want something totally self-guided, totally free, YouTube is actually a fantastic place to learn about this stuff. I've done a couple tutorials on Solidity in the past, but there are plenty of other folks who do a way better job than me in terms of that, in terms of like the volume of stuff they have, like DAP University, all great options. So there's free and paid options. It's up to you how to proceed. Thank you very much for your question. Next question is from Nathan Y. Olson. Interoperability, why does it matter? And do you think other chains can survive without it? So this person's a fan of Icon, which I am as well. Icon has built out the BTP protocol, which is an interoperability protocol, sort of general communications between different blockchain networks. Interoperability is important because if you think about the way that the internet works today, right? You originally had sort of these private networks that you could operate and you could interact with, you know, internal, so like corporate intranet. In those cases, the internet was still valuable in those cases, or the technology behind it was still valuable because you could exchange information in that closed circuit. 
However, the real value came from a deeply interconnected world of different networks that can communicate with each other. So your business network might be able to communicate with someone else's through the open web. To me, right now in the blockchain world, we've got a lot of different protocols that have popped up that do things internally that are really, really great. And I can, you know, buy NFTs on Cardano and I can transact and I can do DeFi and all sorts of cool stuff on Ethereum, but I have to have separate wallets and I have to deal with totally separate networks and there's not any interoperability between them. Interoperability is critical and that's why Polkadot, Cosmos, Icon are all some of my favorite projects because they're solving for this problem. That being said, do I think chains can survive without it? In very rare cases, sure, there might be very niche blockchain networks that are focused on maybe an enterprise use case where having that closed environment is important and perfectly fine. But generally, I think public blockchains are going to have to be interoperable with each other, interoperable with each other, sorry, tongue twister, or they're not going to survive. So interoperability is absolutely 100% critical. Thank you for this question, Nathan. Interoperability is going to be the theme of the next you know, one to three years in crypto, maybe even longer than that. And this is what's going to get us to mass adoption. Thank you. And last question of the day is from Dune. Uh, thank you very much for watching and, and making Crypto Over Coffee your weekend ritual, Dune. I appreciate that. Will ETH still need all these layer two solutions like Polygon, etc., when the 2.0 version comes out? And this is another one that I get all the time. All the time. Now, the most important thing to note here is that Ethereum 2.0 is something that's going to give Ethereum quite a bit more scalability, meaning you're going to have more transaction throughput. Theoretically, you're going to have lower fees. What it doesn't mean necessarily is that it's going to be able to handle everything. The other thing is that Polygon, for example, which is more of a side chain than a layer, true layer two, and there's a sort of a nuanced difference between the two um, in definition, but Something like Polygon is a mechanism by which Ethereum can interoperate with something like Polkadot, right? And Polygon can be a bridge to other blockchains. So in that sense, even though Ethereum 2.0 will be more scalable, so you don't necessarily need to delegate transactions to a layer two or a sidechain like Polygon, a proof of stake sidechain, there still will be value in doing so. There also might be situations where there's a ton of sort of redundant transactions, very repetitive transactions that still would be cheaper on a layer two. And you might not need the same probabilistic or, you know, robust security from an on-chain mechanism, you know, in terms of consensus, right? You might not need that. So layer twos will still play a part. Even though you have very, very powerful blockchain networks that are capable of significant throughput, layer twos and sidechains are still probably going to be a part of this for specific use cases. One of the main ones is going to be a mechanism for interoperability between networks. So I can't guarantee that it's going to be the case and not all will survive, but there still will be. And that's why work is still continuing despite the fact that ETH 2.0 is coming soon. All right, folks, that's it for the questions. Let's go ahead and dive into the news section for the day. Now, just a friendly reminder, please be aware of scammers that are in the comments that are posing as me and other crypto YouTubers. I do not have a WhatsApp. I will not ask you to contact me. I'm not going to try and take money from you or crypto from you, I promise you. So if the comment does not have the name highlighted like you see here or the handle is not at Hashoshi4, it is not me and you should report them and ignore them. So please be safe out there. 
Now, in partnership with the folks at Keystone, I give away a Keystone tablet steel seed phrase backup in every episode by picking a random comment from the video and one Keystone hardware wallet per month for a random winner from across the four episodes that I post per month. Just for transparency though, the product is only available in select regions. So if you win and you're from an unsupported region, I'm just gonna send you some Bitcoin instead, which is still a good prize. The winner of last week's giveaway for that Keystone tablet is here on the screen. So a big congratulations to you. And of course, I will be in touch. Now, as is crypto over coffee tradition, we must start our weekly crypto market update right up front in the episode. And sadly, it's been much of the same story as the weeks prior, which is not a fantastic story, to be honest. We opened the week at around $33,000 Bitcoin and peaked very quickly early in the week at 35,000. And then we dropped back down to the lower 30Ks. People were fearing that we were gonna lose that support by the end of the week. And of course, there's the prevalent regulatory and economic uncertainty swirling around crypto right now that's driving prices down. We did hold 30K though and ended the week in an okay spot. I think that the theme of the market at this point is just a lot of nail biting and unknowns, which is what's holding prices down. People just are holding and waiting out the storm. They don't know what's going to happen. And people who are hodling aren't selling. Very little buying is going on besides when we get big dips and good prices to buy in at. This sideways movement where we start the week and end the week in the same place for Bitcoin and altcoins, and then there's a bunch of volatility in between, is exactly what I would expect with all the fear right now. People just really don't know what's going on. That being said, I do want to note that there are plenty of signals that this won't last forever. For one, I'm already seeing plenty of reports that Bitcoin mining coming online in the USA and other Western areas is starting to increase, which is a good sign for the redistribution of mining across the world in the wake of China's mining issues. Secondly, institutional interest is not fully gone, and I anticipate that the next big drop will bring some fairly significant buy-in opportunities for those advanced and wealthy parties. There are more and more rumblings of new trusts like Grayscale cropping up to offer exposure to crypto as well through more traditional investment vehicles. You also have continued awareness of inflation and economic levers that pose a risk to average person's assets, and that drives more people to look into crypto and other alternative assets to invest in. This next big run-up will be driven by a mix of retail and institutions, and like I said before, I'm placing my bets that we will have a turnaround, maybe not total bull run, we will have a turnaround in the August-September timeframe. Will the whales start to eat at the end of the summer? We shall see, we can't be sure, but till then, it's the same story, folks. Be safe out there. No one can predict with any certainty what's going to happen, so make sure your risk management is in order. Now, Kind of relevant to price action, Ethereum fans and ETH holders have put a lot of stock in this month's London hard fork and its accompanying EIP-1559 update that will bring a new fee mechanic to the main net. It is believed that this new base fee mechanism that will burn a base fee amount of ETH for each transaction will end up far outweighing the total issuance of ETH for each block. And that block subsidy that it makes is going to be outweighed by those fees that are burned, and this means that ETH supply and circulation would become deflationary. Less is being created than is being burned. This will constrain supply over time and encourage price growth for ETH. Right now, this is the big bull case for Ether in the month of August and onwards into that critical period rolling into September that we just talked about. This fee-burning mechanism has been working quite well in the Robston testnet despite my trepidation, and it has indeed showed off that burning of Ether is close to what they expected in early calculations, and things are looking promising. 
I do want to note that despite what people are saying online, however, the London hard fork and EIP 1559 is not intended to solve the gas fee problem and the congestion problem, and it was not necessarily designed to do so in the first place. So please quell your expectations there. In fact, it is simply to make fees more predictable and calculable, which should reduce the very common occurrence of users greatly overpaying for gas fees during times of congestion. So it's not to lower fees, it's to make fees more predictable in a general sense. The actual net effect of this upgrade to how fees are calculated and how fees are during different periods of congestion remains to be seen on mainnet, and we will only know when volumes start to return to what they were during the NFT craze, but just expect that in that sense, a lot of ETH is going to be burned if we get back to those numbers. Remember, also that this is a stopgap until ETH 2.0 comes to fruition, which will be the true solution to the poor scalability that we face on mainnet today for Ethereum. So I will keep you updated on all this as it unfolds. Now, during times of price uncertainty, it is very important to have a plan. And I've talked about this many times. Ultimately, though, one big part of my personal plan has been sort of my contingency plan. That is, if I need money, but I don't want to go out of crypto, I can take stablecoin loans against my cryptocurrency. If I were ever in a position where I needed cash, but I didn't want to sell my position at a loss, I could take a collateralized loan against my crypto or my Bitcoin, for example, and use that to cover my cash need for a short time. This is one service that the sponsor of Crypto Over Coffee, Ledin, has to offer on their platform. So if you have Bitcoin on their platform, you can use it as collateral and you can get a loan that will let you access the capital you have in Bitcoin without divesting from it. Of course, this is not without risk. If you cannot pay back the loan, you will, of course, lose your collateral as any collateralized loan works. But this way you can get a very low interest rate loan against an asset that you have without getting out of Bitcoin. It's just one small tool in the toolkit to help you avoid selling Bitcoin at a huge loss if that's not part of your plan. If you haven't already, please do check out Ledin using my referral link in the description below and start earning yield on your Bitcoin and USDC stablecoins. It is quite frankly a no-brainer. Thank you to Ledin for making crypto over coffee possible. All right, now I posed a question to Twitter to get some community suggestions for topics to cover in crypto over coffee. And there's one that got a lot of love that I've been really meaning to cover already, but just haven't had a chance to do it yet. And that is Seller. And I really hope that I'm pronouncing this right. But Seller Network is a truly powerful layer two network that brings scalability and cost effectiveness to the masses for users of Ethereum, Polkadot, and other blockchains to come. Effectively, Seller leverages a multifaceted technology stack, including state channels and rollups into a horizontally scalable package to serve an ever-expanding transaction throughput from multiple blockchains. So this is a true layer two. Without getting into the deep technical components here, in the interest of time and your sanity, what you need to know is that Seller is built for blazing speed in a true layer two that relies on the security guarantees of the layer one blockchain. Often you hear sidechains described as layer twos as well, but sidechains tend to rely on their own security guarantees, usually a proof of state consensus mechanism that runs in the context of that chain. Slight difference there, if you care. Oh, and minor detail, but their documentation actually addresses the probabilistic and quantifiable trade-offs that high-throughput layer twos like Seller bring to the table and documented their economic model with the Seller token, C-E-L-R token, to mitigate those trade-offs economically. So bonus points there for actually calling that out so it's very clear that a layer two is not the same as a layer one. So Seller is already pretty well adopted, but I'm most excited for the launch of Layer2.FinanceV1, which is described as the 
public transportation for DeFi. In other words, it brings existing DeFi projects that we know and love in a much more cost-effective and scalable fashion for the masses. So right now, the Ethereum Gorli testnet version of Layer2.Finance v1 is live for testing in what is effectively a beta version, and that means that the mainnet launch of v1 has to be right around the corner. This will be significant in bringing cross-chain DeFi capabilities, among other features, and could be a catalyst for DeFi excitement when it launches. If you haven't done a deep dive on Seller yet, you definitely should. All right, folks, next up today is the game of Fact or FUD, where I take a piece of no good, very bad news and tell you whether it is fact or simply fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Now, right now, one of the things that has most crypto investors rather as my grandmother used to say, verklempt, is the impending unlock of a large swath of Grayscale's BTC Trust shares to secondary markets. Many news outlets have been reporting that the 40-some-odd thousand BTC worth of GBTC shares that will be unlocked for secondary market trading this month will produce some heavy selling pressure for Bitcoin and result in yet more price retraction well into the 20,000s. Now, for those of you who are like, whoa, 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 what the hell is GBTC? In essence, Grayscale Capital has about 650,000 BTC on reserve, and they allow investors to gain exposure to Bitcoin using shares that are subject to a six-month lockup period at the time of purchase. Therefore, those who bought BTC during the bull market frenzy six months ago at prices higher than the present value might be tempted to sell out of their now unlocked shares and cap losses, or maybe even profit in some cases, or otherwise try to trade out of the asset. While I would like to say that this is markedly FUD, it really isn't. This could in fact be a short-term issue for Bitcoin price this month, but the good news is that it would be temporary and likely not as bad as is being reported by the totally trustworthy JP Morgan. That's sarcasm, folks. 40,000 Bitcoin worth of GBTC shares being unlocked during what is a really crappy time for the price of the asset could in fact trigger some downward pressure for Bitcoin, but it would only be in the short term. And that could set up for new demand for Bitcoin, like I mentioned before. And if the whales start buying, that could trigger a rally. So some think that this will have no effect. Others think it's going to be catastrophic. Frankly, I'm right in the middle. I think it's a concern, but I don't think it's the end of the world. So take that for what you will. Now, due to popular demand, I also want to give an update on Cardano's Alonzo hard fork, which will bring smart contracts to mainnet here in the next couple of months. For the last several weeks, the Alonzo hard fork has been in the blue phase. These are color-coded phases, which consisted of closed testing of smart contracts amongst a set of established stake pool operators and other pioneers involved in the Cardano ecosystem. Now, it would appear, based off of what's going on now, that the testing done in Alonzo Blue was successful and the necessary tweaks have been made to the code base because around July 12th, the next phase of the process, dubbed Alonzo White, is due to start. And this will expand that closed beta to more participants and begin to go deeper into the functionality as new things are added. This wider testnet with 100 or more people involved will run anywhere from two to four weeks long, maybe even longer, depending on how things go. And then we'll begin to get rumbling on a path to a more open public testnet environment shortly thereafter. Don't know the exact timeline there, but we'll see. So far, so good on the Alonzo front. So that's good news. And by the end of July, the main wallet mechanisms and functionalities will all be in place. So those can be tested. And I'm sure that's going to be a critical part of interacting with Alonzo White through the wallet functionality. Now, by the way, folks, if 
you are an ADA holder and you are looking to delegate to a smaller stake pool that does mint blocks, please do consider delegating to the H4SH stake pool that I started running last month. My pool is minting blocks consistently and every epoch might not be perfect, but I am making some significant blocks and you're getting some good rewards. So the pool info is in the description below if you're interested in delegating. And of course, thank you in advance for that if you are interested. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for 404 Logic Not Found. And for those of you who are as of yet uninitiated in this little firecracker of a segment, I highlight notable tech-related fails or otherwise stupid moves in the world that need to get some attention. And speaking of attention, if you want to help this episode of Crypto Over Coffee get some attention from the algorithm robots, please do hit that like button and get subscribed or follow the podcast because it tells those robots that you are enjoying the content that you're watching and others might also enjoy it. Also, if you're listening to the podcast, I didn't leave you out. If they, if you're enjoying what you're listening to, others might also as well. So today we're featuring an unusually straightforward illogical idea that I've seen coming up in crypto for the last several years, and that is the idea of projects with the most funding being the ones that succeed. Now, you see this fallacy on display year after year. Projects with a ton of hype draw massive token sales, offerings, or simply just cash raises. Now, how they get this money doesn't really matter. You have projects raising hundreds of millions of dollars or even billions of dollars, and that's insane. Now, at face value, I have no issue in a capitalist society that a project can raise these amounts of money. That's totally fair. My issue is that most of the time, the money raised does not equate to a quality product or long-term success, despite what the marketing that pushes it says it will during the fundraise. Ultimately, it ends up creating lofty expectations that can't be met, and at worst, false promises, poor cash management, maybe even fraud, an SEC investigation, etc. So let's take EOS, for example. The fervor for EOS's token sale was unlike anything that I've ever seen in my life. It was almost a sure thing that EOS was going to be the world standard for blockchains at launch based on the promises and hype. And actually, I was at several conferences where EOS people were walking around like the kings of the world. EOS went on to raise $4 billion in one year, which is more money than most well-established corporations have to work with. You'd think... EOS could afford to have built the best global ecosystem and blockchain around with all that capital. Now, with the benefit of hindsight, we know that EOS not only did not live up to the hype, there have been many controversies around decision-making and what they've built so far. The founder of the project left the foundation. There's been little to no excitement lately around the crypto space about EOS, even during the bull market, and the world domination that was seemingly so assured never really materialized. For all intents and purposes, based on the promises of the $4 billion ICO, EOS has been a failure in comparison to the expectations. However, I do maintain lots of technical and game theoretical knowledge has been learned there, and what EOS built has contributed to a lot of other projects, so I may seem to be unfairly picking on EOS, but there are countless other projects that have done the exact same thing. They raise insane amounts of money and then end up under-delivering by a large margin. The ultimate 404 logic not found here is actually twofold. Raising a massive war chest is not necessarily going to help your project succeed if you're a founding team. So instead of focusing on fundraising, focus on the product and how you can build it without the immense gravity of a billion dollar raise. Only raise enough to build and then raise more if you need more. And second, if you're an investor, do not flock to the FOMO club that ends up forming around these huge fundraise projects. 
Sometimes they'll be a good investment, but oftentimes they deflate very quickly when expectations meet reality. This tech is really hard to build, and an engaged community is even harder. A community that wants profit is easy to build. One that is engaged is tough. I've also been getting a ton of questions about Axie and why it is continuing to buck the bearish trend while the rest of the market is basically having a rough time. Axie has capped major gains all the way above a $600 million market cap. And Axie Infinity, the main game itself, is a fun, captivating, and well-designed NFT-based play-to-earn game that centers around fantasy creatures called Axies. These Axies are what players collect in the game by raising and breeding the virtual creatures, as well as battling and exchanging them with other players. This is much like a far better and more mature implementation of CryptoKitties with more features on board. It's really a great game. In addition to the NFT creatures, there is a governance token at the center of the project called Axie Infinity Shards, or AXS. And that token is used to buy axes and exchange in the game. It can be earned through gameplay, and it's also used to stake and participate in the Axie Infinity governance process for new features, development, etc. Now, I've long said that gaming is going to be what brings crypto into the mainstream, and NFTs are going to lead that charge. I believe that the Axie ecosystem is just one small proof point for what is to come in the gaming and NFT space, and I cannot tell you how excited I am. What this is not, though, is a video where I'm telling you, oh, go buy AXS. This is not a go buy the token video. I don't really do those go buy the token videos anyways. What I am saying is that this is a great example of a project. And if you look at projects that are structured like Axie and in the, the whole ecosystem that they've built, that will kind of be an indicator of, oh, that's a, that's a project that's building low and slow and is building on fundamentals. It's building a fun experience, a good user experience with good incentives and economics around it. That's what you should be looking for. So if you're looking for NFT projects, you don't want to buy NFT art, look for things like this Axie world. In general, look for them in the early stages. Axie is going crazy right now, so just be very careful if you go to invest. Please don't FOMO in, but really love the project. It's a really cool thing. Now, folks, that is going to do it for Crypto Over Coffee this week. Thank you so much, as always, for watching this and any other episode that you have listened to or watched on my platforms. So thank you, thank you very much. And if you have some time to stick around, please do check out my top three VPN picks video, which will be linked up here on the screen for you to watch. It's not a one size fits all security and privacy solution, but it's a good first step towards better protecting yourself online. As always, folks, I hope you have a great rest of your weekend and week ahead, including your family as well. And until next time, cheers. Cheers.